unmute myself. That would help. And so if you're, if you're joining us or no, new here, um, my name is Tim. I'm one of the pastors here. And we're just glad that you're here with us this morning at, at, at church. And so this morning we're going we're gonna to take communion together towards the end of our service. So on the way in, you hopefully grabbed one of these kind of self-contained communion things. If you didn't, you can sneak out at some point and they are on the table just outside the door here. You can grab one of those. And so after the service this morning, we'll resume Sunday school and cross training. And so we took a few weeks off over the holiday, but we'll get back into that this morning. And so at 10.30, kids can go downstairs to their classrooms. And you're welcome to join us here as we kind of discuss the sermon and what kind of we can learn from that. And then especially this sermon, this Sunday, like there's a lot from the passage I'm going to preach a little bit later that didn't get a chance to talk about in the sermon. So we'll talk about some of that during cross training. I invite you to join us for that. If you're joining us online, um, there'll be a, an online version of cross training at 3.30 this afternoon. If you want to join us for that, I would welcome you to do that. Um, so you, there should be a link to that in, in an email I sent earlier this week. Um, Call it that I title prepare. Which if you're not if you're not receiving that email, like first I'd encourage you to check your spam. It may be going to spam just because of the service we're using and different things. So look in your spam folder. And if you're still not receiving it, then I'd encourage you to reach out to the church office um, and we will make sure you you get that email. Right, so again, just yeah, thank you for being here with us and let's worship together now. Please stand as we begin to worship this morning.
Continue to faithfully give to what we're doing here as a church. So, um, if you want to give to what we're doing here, you can go online to our website, and there's a link on the web page to give online. Otherwise, there are plates in in the back on your way out on your left, where you can drop your offering um, in that plate. Also, since this is Communion Sunday, we will take our benevolence offering at the end of the service as well. So there will be someone standing at the door on your way up holding a plate. And so those offerings that go on that plate are used to directly meet needs of people in our church family and in the community who have material needs. You pray with me. Fathers, we we just sang you you have done and you do great things. And we just pray that we would never lose sight of the great things that you do, the great things that you have done for us. God, help us never stop being amazed by what a great and mighty and awesome God you are. That you created us, that you created this world that you created, the universe by the power of your word, that you sustain us, that every breath we take is a gift from you. God, help us be amazed by the great things you have done. And God, as we we look out at our world and we see the effects of sin, we see the effects of brokenness and fallenness seemingly everywhere we look. Help us not forget that you are still a God who is doing great things, who still has good plans for his world that will one day undo all the effects of sin and death. And God, as we live as your ambassadors, your messengers here on earth, help us to seek righteousness, help us to seek goodness, help us to bring reconciliation in how we 
interact with the people around us, how we treat one another. Help us to be light and hope in this broken, fallen world and this especially challenging time, especially in our country. God, we pray that you would do a great work again in our country, in each of our lives, in the people around us. God, that you would be glorified by the great things that you would do and that as things seem bleak and dark and hopeless, we we look to the great things you have done and will continue to do even when it's hard to see. Father, we pray for those who are sick, those who are hurting, that you would bring comfort and healing where it's needed, bring peace to those who are wrestling with various challenges. God, help us to love one another well, help us to love our neighbors well, help us to love the people we encounter well so that your name may be glorified through us. God, now as we continue to worship, we lay aside all their care, all their worries, and when we sing and worship you for who you are and all that you have done. In Jesus' name, amen. You stand again with us as we continue to worship. This morning we're gonna we're gonna raise a hallelujah next. I hope you're ready to sing with us.
pray that it is true for each of us that we do seek to praise you. We acknowledge how great, how mighty, how awesome you are. We acknowledge your holiness. We sing, pray from the depths of our soul for your greatness and your holiness. As we come to your word now, let us now lose sight of what a great, holy, holy, holy God you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Maybe seated. So this morning, we're going to start a a new sermon series. We're taking a a six-week break from the book of Luke to do this series that I'm calling like Scarlet Thread. The subtitle: Finding Jesus in Genesis. The reason I've called this series Scarlet Thread is that like throughout church history, different theologians and pastors have often talked about this, this scarlet thread that runs all through the Bible. And that, that scarlet thread is the person and work of Jesus Christ. One of my favorite expressions of this comes from a, a theologian named William Evans who wrote, The atonement is the scarlet cord running through every page in the entire Bible. Cut the Bible anywhere and it bleeds. It is red with redemption truth. I, just, I love that picture of, like, cut the Bible anywhere and it bleeds. At the entire Bible, every page is pointing us to what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. Right, but it's not just old theologians who make this point, right? They didn't come up with this, right? Jesus himself tells us the same thing. So in Luke chapter 24, Jesus, Jesus, after his resurrection, Jesus encountered a few of his followers walking along the road. But for whatever reason, they don't recognize him as Jesus. And so he starts having a conversation with them. And he quickly notices that they're dejected and they're downtrodden and they're disheartened. And so he starts asking them, why? Like, why are you disheartened? Why are you sad? And they reveal that, like, well, they have been following this Jesus who they thought was the Messiah. But then Jesus was killed and, like, their hopes of a Messiah had been crushed. And so now they were downtrodden. And Jesus responds to them by saying, How foolish you are, and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And so then, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And so like, he explained what was written in all the scriptures about Himself. Right? So Jesus is explaining how the Bible is about him. But of course, this is in the new like this is, in this time, right, there is no New Testament. Right? So all the scriptures means just the Old Testament. Right? So Jesus walks through the Old Testament pointing to them how all the whole Old Testament points forward to Jesus and what he did. 
And so like, that's my hope, really, in this series. Right? To help us understand and read the Old Testament like Jesus read the Old Testament. And then we're going to start in the book of Genesis. So for the next six weeks, we're going to look at different passages in Genesis and look at how they point forward to Jesus and who he is and what he accomplished. So today we're going to start near the very beginning in Genesis chapter 3 with the fall. Adam and Eve fall into sin. And so, English is a kind of funny language sometimes. It has fair number of quarks, quirks, right? And so, like, one of my favorite quirks of the English language is these things called contronyms. So a contronym is a word that has two meanings that mean opposite things, right? And so I can, I can dust my dessert by adding powdered sugar to it, right? Or I can dust my windowsill by removing dust from it. Like, one definition of dust means to add one means to take away. Right? Or in like some translations of Genesis 2.24, right? it says, a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. Right? But of course, there's another definition of cleave that you should definitely not do to your wife. Right? Like One means to be attached to, one means to separate from. And so like, there's these contronyms. And the word great, it's not quite a contronym, but it does have kind of competing definitions. And so one definition, kind of the more common definition, has to do with quality, right? Which means like really, really good. If something is great, it just means like even better than good. It's great. But there's another definition of great, which has to do with more about extent or how the amount of something. And so... Like World War One is often referred to by historians as the Great War. But when they call it the Great War, they obviously don't mean the really, really good war. Right? World War One is a terrible war for all kinds of reasons. When we call World War One a great war, we mean it was massive and it was huge and it involved all these different countries. The great in that context means like have to do more with amount. And so I mention that because in today's passage, we're going to see three things that are great. But when I use the word great in this passage, in this sermon, like I'm, I don't mean in the sense of very good. Right? I mean in the, in the sense of like extent. So we're going to be in Genesis chapter 3. We're going to read verses 1 through 19. If you want to turn there, you can in your Bibles. Otherwise, the verses will be on the screen. Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say, You must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say, You must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden, and you must not touch it, or you will die. You will certainly not die. The serpent said to the woman, For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for gaining wisdom, 
She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together and made covering for themselves. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called to them, Where are you? He answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. For the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly, and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head, and you will strike his heel. To the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam he said, Because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, from dust you are, and to dust you will return. So as I said, in the passage we see these three great things. Namely, we see great sin that has great consequences, that requires a great Savior. Great sin, great consequences, great Savior. So we're going to look at each one of those three things, one at a time, starting with great sin. So when you you first think about what Adam and Eve did, it doesn't really seem like that big of a deal. They, They ate some food that they were told not to eat. If I ate food, if I got like, in big trouble every time I ate food I wasn't supposed to eat, like, I'd be in trouble all the time. Like, it doesn't seem like a huge deal. They just eat some fruit that they were told not to eat. But the significance of Adam and Eve's sin was not sort of the action itself, right, but what the action represented and who the sin was against. Right, the action represented rebellion against the God of the universe who had created them. The God who had given them this beautiful garden home to live in and to care for. The God who had walked with them personally, day in and day out, in the garden. The God who had constantly provided for all their needs. But the God who had given them only one rule to follow. 
And it wasn't some big burdensome rule, like you have to do this big thing every day. It was just like, don't do something. That's all they had to do, was not do something. And they, they rejected him. They rebelled against God and tried to make themselves God in his place. What if the serpent say that ultimately tempts Eve to eat? He tells like, if you eat this fruit, you will be like God. Adam and Eve sin was not primarily about eating a piece of fruit. Adam and Eve sin was about staging a cosmic coup. Adam and Eve are trying to kick God off the throne of heaven and set themselves up in God, as God in his place. And that's a great sin. It is rebellion against the God of the universe. Like the bad news for us is that every sin we commit, it's just as bad. Every time we reject what God has told us about how we're supposed to live, and we choose to do our own thing, like we're committing cosmic insurrection and are trying to set ourselves up as our own God. And every sin is a violation of the first commandment, which us to have no other gods before God. We try to make ourselves God. Every sin we commit is a great sin. Not necessarily because of the consequences of the action itself, but because about what it declared about who we think we are and our relationship with God. Like every sin declares that we believe we don't need God. Like every sin declares that we believe that we can be our own God. Every sin is an act of rebellion against the one true God, the God of the universe. And because of that, every sin is a great sin. And because of that, every sin results in great consequences. Those, those consequences reach into every part of life. We see, we see how sin reaches into every part of life through kind of four different consequences that are laid out in this passage. And so first and foremost, the greatest consequence of sin is alienation from God. Adam and Eve go from having this perfect, loving relationship and fellowship with God to trying to hide from His presence. They go from joy in being with Him to fear of being with Him. In verse 8, we read, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as He was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. That should have produced joy in them. They should have delighted to be with their God, but instead... They hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Adam and Eve understood that their sin turns like standing in the presence of God from a joyful thing into a fearful thing. Like earlier in chapter 2, God had told Adam, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. He told Adam, you eat that fruit, you're going to die. And now Adam's eating it, and God's looking for him. And he was terrified, 
rightfully so. And we understand that because of their sin, they're unworthy to stand in the presence of a holy God. And like, so Eden represents this place where Adam and Eve can have special relationship with the God of the universe, where God is specially present with His people. And because of their sin, a little later in the chapter, God will drive Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden. They do not, they're not worthy to be with God in His presence because of their sin. And so Adam and Eve's sin causes them to be alienated from God. It causes their relationship with God to be broken. And like our, our sin is the same thing for us. Because of our sin, we are unworthy to be in the presence of God. Because of our sin, we do not, we do not deserve to have fellowship with God. Because of our sin, we deserve death. We deserve eternal separation from God. But, just, but God didn't kill Adam and Eve immediately for their sin. Like they would eventually die, but He doesn't kill them immediately. And He doesn't kill us immediately for our sin either. He allows us to live life. But that life ultimately will end. Like, and all the days of our life, however long they may be, will be marked by other consequences of sin. So the second consequence of sin we see in this passage is an alienation from others. In verse 16, God is pronouncing a curse on Eve for her role in this sin. And he says to Eve, Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Because of their sin, like the perfect marriage between Adam and Eve is broken, and they turn from this perfect relationship into this power struggle. 